When you're looking for more and there's no place to go It's a sequels only bonus show It's not about sequels this time, you know It's a sequels only bonus show Doug and his pals, well, they know what to do Talking about movies without a part two Looking for more and there's no place to go It's a sequels only bonus show Talking to stars with Doug Ditt's soul It's a sequels only bonus show Sequels only bonus show With a monster squad Hey there, Doug here. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. Happy Monday and happy October. We are here to help you. I know Mondays suck, but I care about you, especially you. And this bonus, uh, it's so good. And this will be our last one for the rest of the month because we're packing it all in. We have some amazing horror sequels that we're going to be covering. Also some amazing interviews. So the interviews will be on Mondays and then Thursdays will be the sequel. So if this is the first time checking us out, thank you. I appreciate it. So why don't you go to sequelsonly.com now or wherever you're listening and subscribe. But all of our links, all of our episodes, all of our reviews, everything you need, sequels only, it's there. And now today's a special day as well. Today's my birthday. So you're probably thinking, oh man, Doug, what can I get you? There's nothing really I need. I have everything I, I need. Um, I have sequels. I have my wife, I have my daughter, I have Jamie, my co-host, and I guess other stuff. But if you want to really do something cool, wherever you're listening, I mentioned already subscribe, but also just rate us five stars, share us, tell your friends. The more people can hear us, the better we're off. So now for this week's bonus interview, if you're watching this, you already know what's going on. But if you're listening, ha ha ha, this week's bonus interview is with the star of Monster Squad. Andre Gower, who plays Sean. We talked about all things inside and out from the film, uh, the people that worked on it. And we also talked about Wolfman's Nard, a documentary he did, because at that time, the movie didn't get the reception it should have. But years later, it's picking up steam. It's picking up steam. So he thought of a great documentary to do. And we also talked about him growing up in L.A., right in the thick of it, all the child stars that he knew and competed for roles with. They were just his buddies. He was in pretty much all the Fox shows when Fox first launched in the 80s. But you know what? I'm going to quit blabbering, but you're going to hear some cool stories of Andre's TV dads. Uh, without further ado, Andre Gower. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, there we go. Let me make sure I turn. If I turn that way, is that good for you? That's perfect, dude. Let's see. Thanks, man. Thanks for taking the time. No, thanks for inviting me. So I don't, I can't see the second half of the shirt. Nobody's. Oh, nobody's as mean as Gene. I interviewed a guy. Uh, you were Meatballs three. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't know about it like before we started this. Uh -huh. I interviewed. It was like one of Patrick Dempsey's first movies. Uh, that I didn't know. Even yeah, it was like even pre was, can't buy me love. Uh, pre can't buy me love. Yeah. Right? yeah. So this was kind of like the Michael J. Fox ish, like Teen Wolf. Like they filmed Meatballs three and I think eighty four, and they held it for a couple years, <laughs> and then once Dempsey got a little bit bigger, I don't know how they can guess that. Maybe they got distribution. Yeah. But anyway, I interviewed the guy that played this character called Mean Gene. The movie's like so loosely based on the first one. He plays Rudy. Do you remember Meatballs? Barely. So Rudy was like the little I was guy. Young when, I was young when Meatballs Oh, you were? Yeah, out. you were like yeah. seven. Yeah. 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 So it was like Bill Murray's buddy in the movie. So Patrick <laughs> Dempsey plays him older. It's like so ridiculous. But Gene Simmons' wife was in the movie. Well, his girlfriend then. <laughs> But uh, right. so the guy that I interviewed who worked on a lot of stuff, he was the voice of uh, Beast on X-Men, the animated series. So he told me that they always thought that they called the character Mean Gene, kind of <laughs> making fun of Gene Simmons. Got it. So I made him one and I sent it and I made yeah. one for myself. Yeah. Nice. Sweet, man. So uh, I like to find out how people started. And then like you worked on a lot of cool different things besides obviously Monster Squad. <laughs> Like a lot of, I did, yeah. Pretty, like amazing. So, how did your? I mean, you grew up in LA, right? Uh, I did. Um, I grew up, uh, born and raised 
LA. Uh, I am a, I, I am as OG Valley kid as you can be. Um, I grew up in the North end of the San Fernando Valley. So, you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, you know, two tone corduroy OP shorts and a lightning bolt Terry cloth shirt and your BMX bike and some slip on vans. Nice. Uh, that's when you're really young. And then, you know, you get into the, you know, parachute pants and breaking days and neon suspenders and ash, you know, and faded out Clorox jeans and you go through a whole bunch of stuff, but you know, we were in LA. So everybody was always, you know, you're always either you have some sort of style or fashion element or pop culture thing that either people get later or not at all. (laughs) I would definitely say uh, later. I I feel like some of those places, those styles that like the Midwest, I'm in Jersey but yeah. so a little quicker with like being close to New York, but I can see like in sure. the middle of the country, like they're just getting that now. Right. <laughs> they're just getting that now. Oh man, that's, that's, that's pretty hard. I hope they catch up. They're not, I know Midwest people. They've got <laughs> some cool stuff. I love them. They're the best. Um, <laughs> hopefully they're not getting neon suspenders right now. Please just avoid that. Phase. Um, but yeah, no, it was um, growing up in LA was, um, you know, by itself is a whole other phenomenon let alone growing up in la as compared to everywhere else uh and then growing up in la and also being in film and tv when you're really young uh that just adds a completely additional world it's not even i mean it's a whole other universe oh yeah were your parents like in the industry at all or anybody you knew no my my sister carlina is a few years older than i am and she she was so she started out as uh, back in the day when pageants were actually prestigious and meant something like you know little kid pageant stuff. Uh, but she is one of the most successful pageant people in the state of California in the history of the state of California. Wow, she's the only one to win all three crowns at different age groups and stuff like that. So, um, in the old school California pageant world, she's an icon. Nice. Uh, but you know, so you know, think of it as you will, but uh my parents and her moved down to LA because somebody, I don't remember who it was, but a bunch of people said, you know, you should, she should probably be in pictures. Very cliche. Yeah. And so she went down there, started off, you know, doing a lot of print work, a lot of commercials, TV, uh, and, and some feature stuff. Uh, and then surprise here I came and, uh, she's six years older than I am. So, Oh, wow. uh, One, I was, 18 months old or something when I was on my first set, not as an actor, but, uh, my, I actually like all of my claim to fames that I have. Cause I have some pretty bitching ones. Yeah. Uh, but one of the coolest ones is, is that my sister is in one of the biggest and most famous movies of all time. So she's the, if you remember back in the seventies, Irwin Allen produced a bunch of the big disaster movies. And one yeah. of the best one of all time is the towering inferno. Yeah, and uh, my sister is the little girl in the Towering Inferno. Oh my god, dude, that's amazing! Yeah. So she's the one, and Mike Lookinland, who was Bobby Brady, they played brother and sister. Uh, you know, with Jennifer Jones as their, and then she has this deaf mother, and Jennifer Jones and Fred Astaire get caught with them in the tower, and Fred Astaire. I mean, uh, Paul Newman saves my sister. That's basically the whole fire story is Paul yeah, Newman yeah. saving saving my sister, Bobby Brady, and Jennifer Jones. <laughs> oh my god, dude. So I grew up, you know, there was probably no way I wasn't going to be in yeah. the business. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just by tagging along. And then I started doing stuff when I was five years old. Wow. And, what was the know, first thing you did? Were you doing like my, commercials or? Yeah. My first thing was a Jack in the Box commercial. Oh, and, dude. Um, we lived in Oregon for a little bit. Yeah. Jack in the Box is pretty good. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the very first thing I ever did was a, a, a national uh, or, you know, regional Jack in the Box commercial. And, uh, just, I, I started doing a ton of commercials cause they were huge back then. And that's yeah. one of the only things that kids did, you know, a lot was commercials cause there wasn't a lot of programming and a lot of films that kids were, you know, big and look, I was five, Yeah, you know, so that's pretty young, but, uh, you know, ton of commercials, ton of print work, print work was a big thing back then. Cause this is obviously in magazines and brochures yeah. and, ca- and catalogs, you know, I'm playing like in a, in a million catalogs for like Macy's. Or, you know, even the stores that were before Macy's. <laughs> but, uh, and, and some of them were cool and some of them were rather creepy. And um, you're just like, why am I standing around in my underwear? Um, but, uh, you know, they were, you know, cute underwear, I guess, that were on sale at Macy's. But, uh, hmm. the um, you know, they just kind of progressed into growing up a little bit older and being 
you know, getting a chance to audition and being cast a lot of stuff. So when you start out younger, you have a little head start. Yeah. And, you know, that just led to a lot of cool stuff, you know, going into my, you know, adolescent years and my teenage year. Yeah. So when you started, your first thing was uh, you played in a Santa movie with Fred Astaire. Yeah, there's a little like one degree of separation because Fred yeah. Astaire was in Tearing Inferno. And That's then, awesome. Yeah, there was, this was awesome because that was, I that was five or six as well. Uh, you know, every year the networks have these giant, you know, kind of holiday specials or movie yeah. of the weeks. And uh, they, they played it for, good God, every year on Christmas for like 30 years. It was called The Man in the Santa Claus Suit. You can usually, you can find it on YouTube, I think, the entire oh, sure. movie. Uh, but it was a, a fun kind of uh, multi-character kind of connected story where all around a central character and Fred Astaire plays this guy who runs a costume shop and these three different main characters need a Santa suit like that day for different <laughs> reasons. And my dad was one of them who was played by the incomparable Burt Convy. And um, so I can't watch Password without seeing the guy that was my dad in the movie. Um, but uh, Or Super Password. But uh, that was cool. You know, it, it, it was a very New York movie. You know, it was very Manhattan, like every, but we shot yeah. it in downtown LA. <laughs> uh, my parts, everything else was shot in New York. My parts uh, were all downtown LA. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that like? Even that, like you're doing the, the, the commercials, the print work, then you get that. Like at, I've talked to a couple of people that were acting at a young age. Like I just interviewed the uh, Chip Douglas from My Three Sons. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh Oh, dude, I can't think of the name. Uh, the guy, the kid from The Christmas Story, he was in... Uh, Peter Billingsley? No. Peter Billingsley or Scott Schwartz? Scotty Schwartz. Scotty Schwartz. Yeah. He grew yeah. up like two towns over from me. Yeah, he did. He is a Jersey boy. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. So I like I've Scott talked to... a long time. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, so what was it like, like the work, like it's kind of, even at a young age, it's weird to say, but yeah, like the, what was the work-life balance? Well, what's interesting that you that you call it work to begin with. Yeah. Right. And then they say, you know, work-life balance, because that's exactly what it is. It's, you know, most, and, and I think at the very, very beginning, when you start working or getting rules, the ones that become professional can do the job and get it done are the ones that are going to work, you yeah. know, they get more roles. And cause it's very hard to work with, with kids. Um, it, it's, it's so restrictive just on the, the, the legal side and the production yeah, side yeah. and and the restrictions that you have, let alone dealing with someone that may or may not know where they are, may or may <laughs> not want to be there. You know, yesterday they were great. Today, not so hot. That's the tough thing with kids, especially young kids. Uh, yeah. And a, a lot of directors don't work well with kids or they don't know how to interact with them. Um, but growing, I, I don't, here's the weird thing is, is I don't know. I, <laughs> It's so interesting because I don't know what it's like to not be in it. Yeah. To compare. I always was, even yeah. at a very young age. Now, that doesn't mean I only had that kind of industry make-believe world. You know, one of my focuses that my parents always had and then, you know, I, I clung to, you know, even to this day, is that you, you always have, like, the normal world. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, have, you have a regular life that's not industry related. Like when you're not working, go to regular school, you know, hang out with friends that aren't in the industry, you know, play rec league sports, you know, try to do as much as that. And I was always involved in so many activities. Yeah. And if they kind of clashed or, or kind of intermingled with the industry, I, I would always be a little annoyed, but you also even understood that this is your job and this is what you're doing. And when you're on set, like, I, I think it just comes natural to some people. Uh, I, I was always easily coached. I was always easily to be directed. I, I think everybody has to have some innate natural ability just to yeah. be there anyway. Cause some people are really uncomfortable, you know, re reading a phone book or something, you know, yeah. in, in front of nobody, let alone you have to do stuff. That's not you. You have to pretend you're somebody else. When you're five, you say lines that somebody else wrote, <laughs> stand on a piece of tape that some other adult put on the floor and say words to a camera or another human being that you've just met. And that's a lot to process. Yeah, um, so I, I think maybe I was just fortunate enough to be able to take to it fairly naturally. And, um, you know, just a lot of, a lot of support and a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, that just leads to a lot of cool experiences. Oh, hell um, yeah. I just always thought it's not as a, as a, as a, as a detriment or something that took away from my childhood or my adolescence or my teen years or even after, uh, it was just, it was just this rad addition that you really only appreciate as much as you should later. Yeah. You still know you're doing some cool stuff, 
because uh, you're aware of it, especially when you get into teenage years, um, that not a lot of other people get to do. Oh, yeah. And you know what's cool, uh, too? I know, obviously, camcorders were a thing back then, but it's cool, yeah. like, in a way, you can – and photographs people took, but it's cool, like, you can be like, hey, this is what I look like at 12 and, like, pop on something. It's kind of weird that you can do that, but it, it you is have different. that opportunity. Well, you know, it depends on, you know, if you had a dad that had a 16 millimeter and family yeah. videos or slideshows, you know, with your parents at summer break or vacation or the family reunion or something. Uh, and everybody takes photos, you know. Yeah. You know, now we take a ton. But uh, to have your kind of life <laughs> memorialized or memorialized on moving, screen, you know, on moving pictures or film or video is very unique. That's a, that's yeah. a very different thing. Again, I don't know what it's like to not, not have, have it. So I don't really know what I'm not, not missing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you ever take any acting classes along the way? Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, every oh, you once did? in a while, um, especially when you're young, you know, you take some, uh, there's always a handful of, of classes or people or instructors or group things. I didn't take much. Uh, I worked with some individuals every once in a while, but group class and things like that, even when I was a kid, I, I just wasn't that's where I wasn't comfortable. Yeah. And I can admit that now I didn't, because to me that was fake acting. That was acting for the sake of acting. So someone could tell you how to do it differently yeah. or that you weren't doing it well. Now I don't discount or discredit acting class or cold reading class or scene study or working with somebody like that. Cause I actually, I've done that for people yeah. on the others on the other side. Um, <laughs> And I think it certainly helps and it's beneficial. I think, look, if you have an audition or a, or, or a scene to shoot to, to go off, with, you know, to do it with someone that knows what they're doing or give you feedback, invaluable. I mean, that's certainly valuable. You shouldn't, unless you're really good, you shouldn't really do it all on your own if you have an opportunity to maybe just bounce an idea off somebody. Yeah. Uh, but like class, that's really weird. I mean, I remember being in, uh, you know, there's a couple different ones, but one sticks out, you know, this guy who, you know, was, you know, well-known at the time and, and, and had the studio, you know, in, in a, like the converted the garage, which was kind of cool and had theater seats and a stage. And we'd go there on Wednesday nights or whatever it was. And that's really funny. Cause that's where I was uncomfortable. Like, I just <laughs> didn't like it. I was like, this is it. like, I'm uncomfortable. This is lame. Like, I know all these kids in here, like I, I'd rather right now on a Wednesday night be hanging out with them and, and socializing <laughs> instead of doing something that I may or may not do next Thursday afternoon. Yeah. at NBC like but I also don't want to act in front of the like this is weird I always yeah. felt uncomfortable in, in, in that situation um, and I just didn't do it a lot <laughs> I probably should have maybe I would have worked more maybe I sucked <laughs> no, you definitely worked more when you look at your IMDB you did something every year no and I it just did kept I, getting I was bigger and bigger like the shows you're on and there were some yeah. shows that you're on that were really cool like the concept wise, like the one, it was the, uh, what, Mr. President. That was a cool concept. And again, you had a cool dad. Well, that, ha that had a whole even bigger backstory uh. to that, but to, I'll touch on what you, you know, kind of started there. Um, I've always viewed um, my kind of career trajectory or my credit, you know, kind of path is, is very interesting because when you look back, let, you know, talk about all those kids in the acting class or just in the industry as a whole, you know, any given year, there's however many hundred kids, hundreds of kids in your age range or, you know, expanded age range. And now it's probably thousands, but, <laughs> you know, depending on however many are there. And there was a lot of programming back then or roles for kids, if you really think about it, because we only had three networks and some oh, syndicated know. stuff and some movies. And if you were a kid in a movie, you were someone's offspring and then you were in and out and you were gone. <laughs> um, I always kind of, I could be wrong. I've always wanted, you know, some of my colleagues or, you know, contemporaries to kind of weigh in on this. But I think of the whole, I think there's probably about 20% of the kids did 80 or 90% of the work. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because they just kept, they, they know what you want and you were good. And the cream rises to the top. Um, and there were some really fantastic performing kids in, in my day, you know. Um, some were just, you know, fantastic looking. Some were funny. Some were creative. Some were just characters. Some were really dramatic. You know, there was, and, and they worked. And they're still working. And it, it was a, it's kind of the same now, but it's a little different. But I, I feel like I was fortunate enough to be in that 20%, whether yeah. I'm at the second half or the middle half or whatever of that 20%, because I was fortunate enough to get cast in so many things. Oh, yeah. um, what's interesting is I was involved in so many projects 
you know, that didn't actually trigger and, and, and catch fire. Oh, uh, right. did a lot of pilots, a lot of series for one season. My career in, let's just say, the 80s alone, which is the bulk of it, uh, I, I'm the guy that did five or six TV shows for one season instead of one show that went six years that everybody knows you for. <laughs> and, you know, and then the reverse of that, and it's not just singular to me, but because we're all auditioning for the same stuff. Yeah. Sometimes you just get offered roles or you go straight to network or whatever, and I was fortunate enough to get to that level where you're out of kind of the, the kind of chaff you know, kind of world cool. and you're going straight to the, in the room, whether they're going to cast you that day or not, or, you know, they're just calling your agent and saying, there's a new show and you're the kid or something like that. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, I, I got to that point, you know, every once in a while, which was very cool. Um, but I, you know, I think, you know, it's weird, you know, you see someone that you know, that's iconic or very mem- memorable from a show and that's the only thing they did, but they went on for five or six years. Yeah. Um, I, I did five or six shows for one season or a pilot that didn't go, you know, we all did. And we're all reading for the same stuff. And all those other shows are things that I read for or became very close to getting. And some shows that I had to, that I couldn't do because of contracts with other things or, you know, making decisions at the time, you know, which is, uh, you know, you know, hindsight's 2020, but uh, you brought up Mr. President. Um, So the backstory of that was, that was a show um, when Fox was a brand new network in 88, right? They were launching and they had like uh, seven or eight, original shows to launch a freaking network, right? Yeah. So if you back up about three, three, three and a half years or four years, even prior to 88, uh, I had done a lot of TV shows and productions that were off of the Fox studio lot, you know, that were oh, coming okay. out of Fox as a studio. And a couple of them were shows that went one season or five episodes or the pilot. <laughs> and you know, they were with uh, big TV heavyweights like uh, Michael Zinberg uh, uh, and a new guy named Randy Zisk, who, you know, has been, huge for the last 20 something years as a TV EP. Um, And these were all people that I got to work with and I I would just constantly do stuff with them. And it ended up sort of being a thing where I was sort of at in this deal at Fox and I was constantly doing these shows like, you know, apparently Zinberg and they were any new shows that they were coming up, I was automatically attached to, (laughs) or they were, you know, trying to find shows to, you know, create for me as a vehicle because that's how they do it. And they find someone they like and they try to create it, which is rad. Um, producers and studios used to do that. Now agencies do that. You know, they're the, they're the packagers and the things that are trying to you know create stuff, which is a, a new a new paradigm. But um, I I loved working on those shows, and I mentioned those because they lead up to Mr. President. And I had done a couple shows for 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 them. Um, one called um, uh, Fathers and Sons, which is a really cool show about four boys and their dads. It was about their relationship. Like you never saw that. You hadn't seen that show yet. So probably a little ahead of its time, yeah. you know, four different kind of tropey characters of, you know, a, a smattering of demographics of, <laughs> uh, of, you know, suburban youth. And I loved my character. It was my favorite character of all time. The pilot came out and, it, you know, it, it was really cool because I got to, <laughs> my dad was sort of like the absent dad, like the deadbeat dad, like the one that never showed up or always disappointed <laughs> you, but he was super cool. <laughs> and it was the star of the show was Merlin Olson, who was just coming off a little house in the prairie and uh, father, father, uh, father Quincy, father Brown, father, no father Brown's the current BBC show, uh, father Murphy. And so Merlin Olson, famous football player yeah, was on little house in the prairie. Does father Murphy. Now this is his next network show. He plays the kind of athletic football coach of the chunky redheaded kid uh, who's kind of goofy and fun. And then we had a little nerdy kid. And then me, I was the, super cool kid great hair leather jacket i wore rad clothes like they went into the archive from the 50s and 60s of the studio lot and got all these you know shirts that were really awesome that's awesome and um a lot of hair product a lot of hair product and my dad was ricky nelson returning from television so the iconic tv and music star ricky nelson was coming back to television so we shoot the pilot we do it the show gets picked up for like Five episodes after that, back in the day, used to be mid-season replacement type thing. And in between the pilot airing and we shoot the next episode, Ricky Nelson dies in a plane crash. Oh, my God. So there goes one of the heavyweights of the show that kind of is the draw because the kid from Ozzy and Harriet <laughs> you know, yeah. is on TV again as a TV icon of Americana and <sighs> dies in a plane crash. So the, the show kind of – we did five episodes – but my character had to be like, oh, now my dad's really absent and he's always flaking on me. So we played it that way instead of replacing him. 
And I just, I just, I just don't think audience was ready for the show. Ricky Nelson dying kind of took some of the, you know, the, the star star power out of it. And that was unfortunate. And then we went into another show called um, heart of the city, which again was a Zimberg and this show, which was uh, way ahead of its time. Uh, but there was three kids on that show and I played the criminal, which I had never done before. So another <laughs> cool, I played like this 12, 13 year old crack dealer who in the pilot is being arrested because I just gunned down another teenage crack dealer. <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was way, way ahead of the time and started uh, Robert Desiderio as this, you know, LA homicide detective and his, he had kids on the show and his kids on the show were Jonathan Ward and Christina Applegate. Oh, so it was that's wow. a single, single dad trying to raise his kids being a homicide detective while he has to deal with a 12 year old criminal that he gets involved with my mother as a romantic thing. And then my case, so it was kind of it was thread. I love the show. I escaped, I escaped from prison and everything. I go on the oh run. God. It's amazing. And great show. Three kids on that show. And then shortly after that, we do monster squad and then Fox becomes a new network. And all three of the kids that were on that cop show got offered new shows on Fox network. Oh my god! Uh, 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 Jonathan Ward did a show called "Adventures of Beans Baxter." Oh, where he dude, played I interviewed sort of two people of, from that. Yeah, 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 great show. You know, nerdy inventor kid that solves oh, crime. Yeah. You know, awesome show. Um, and uh, Christina Applegate obviously did "Married with Children," yes. <laughs> and uh, I did a show called uh, "Mr. President," which uh, at the time I got offered two Fox shows, and one was uh, produced by Johnny Carson. Uh, being ran, show ran by Ed Weinberger, uh, who's one of the biggest TV names of all time. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, tax teachers, all this stuff, right? And starring George C. Scott, who's never done television, uh, makes this huge deal, huge contract, big thing. I'll come to television, we'll do this. He plays the president of the United States. Uh, I played his son with uh, an awesome sister named Maddie Corman, who's, uh, uh, you know, came from New York and, and was really cool to, to grow up with. And it, also Conrad Bain, was his chief of staff, you know, coming off different strokes and nod, oh, yeah. big TV heavyweight. And then we had a mom, which was Carlin Glenn, uh, who's the mom in 16 Candles, which is great. But uh, she got replaced after season one because the show was guaranteed to go two seasons. It was starring all these huge people. They even brought in Madeline Kahn in season two to be oh. the aunt, the, the wacky aunt. So I got to hang out That's with amazing, Madeline Kahn for a year. Um, and they were paying you know, they were offering a lot more money. So it was guaranteed for two seasons, all of these, you know, all these awesome people involved with heavyweights. I'm, you know, the, like, you know, for, you know, a, a kid actor of, you know, 14 years old at the time, uh, you know, the, you know, above scale, which is, you know, union minimum wage, uh, you know, it, it's a pretty good deal and it's guaranteed for two seasons. Yeah. The other show I got offered, uh, the pilot wasn't even again guaranteed to air. Uh, it, it was, it was a little, it was a little blue. It was a little rough little little raunch and uh was associated nobody associated with that show with anybody knew and uh that was married with children <laughs> uh. so um but my buddy that i grew up with david faustino you know you know does bud bundy and becomes a worldwide icon literally and you know more power to him i mean that show's fantastic it oh, broke yeah, tv you know that, married with children show, broke television yeah that show is like like that was like the one thing like my dad we had to watch all the time and just such a I don't know if they would do a show like that nowadays if it would even work <laughs> just how poor they were and the way they did everything and yeah it was a it was a whole and that's why it wasn't guaranteed even yeah. like you didn't know it was going to work and then lo and behold that's where fox makes you know yeah. gold and uh and then of course my show Mr. President him having all these problems with it and you know George C Scott's you know this this juggernaut of, you know, emotion and rage and, uh, but also a very nice guy and, uh, learned a lot, got yelled at a lot, learned a lot. Um, band, the star of the show banned the EP. Who's one of the biggest heavyweights of television of all time. He wasn't allowed to come on the stage. Uh, it's, it's crazy. It was crazy. The stuff that you were just tangentially involved with. And then to hear some of these awesome stories of these amazing actors like Conrad Bain and George C. Scott yeah. and when Madeline Kahn joined it, um, it was just yeah. a whole other world, a whole other world whole of the world she was i don't even know how to explain madeline Kahn because people think when you see madeline Kahn, you're like oh my gosh she's got a good shtick not a shtick she has that energy and that uh, power like that that energy bubble around her that's just her she's just on <laughs> always on dude. That's and it's cool. amazing it's amazing 
So you grew up with David Faustino, like around where you were at, or just yeah, audition wise, audition and pals. Uh, oh, cool! You know, off the set and things like that because we both lived in the valley. Uh, his younger brother Michael is obviously in Monster. You know, he's Eugene in Monster yeah. Squad. Um, uh, but Dave and I were same age. We didn't go to the same school, but of course, you're in the same orbit. Like I said, when you're yeah. in that group, you know everybody. Um, you know, knew, knew his parents well. Uh, I mean, my, boy, at that time, Mike was really, really tiny or not even around yet. Uh, and then I get to, you know, end up doing a, you know, a movie with, you know, you kind of know everybody. You hang out and you go to everybody's birthday party and you go to, you know, usually when you grow up like in New Jersey or, you know, in Des Moines or in Tallahassee, the, the birthday parties you go to where the kids are in your grade in your school yeah, yeah. and maybe in your neighborhood and that is it. Yeah. Like I had that as well. And like I said, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't miss that either. I didn't not do that. I also had this whole other world where I got to go hang out at awesome people's houses and grow up with all these other kids and go to their birthday parties and their bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and things like that. So it, it was just a whole other addition. So, yeah, but I love David. I mean, I mean, you know, he's turned into his show that he ended up doing on crackle years ago was hilarious to me. Um, and you know, everybody from Vogue children went on to do, you know, amazing things. And Christina's Christina. I mean, oh, she's, dude. she's, she's redonkulous. Yeah. And even if you think you think you look at all, it's unbelievable the way they keep going, you know? And it was really cool. I don't know. Did you watch the last season of dead to me? Oh, I haven't watched season two yet. Oh. I loved one because one Christina who doesn't love Christina Applegate. Yeah. I also know, I mean, like I, I, I knew her. I like, yeah. we're not pals now. Like we don't hang out at, you know, at, at Sunday brunch anymore, but like, birthday parties at her house hanging out. Yeah. So I kind of know her. So I'm always connected. And then I total fan of Linda Cardellini, oh, you know, yeah. going all the way back to, you know, even pre ER days and all that. But yeah, it's yeah. Um, she's one of my faves and I think she's great on that show. Oh yeah. Uh, but I haven't seen season two yet. I haven't watched it yet. It's pretty good. But like, yeah. you have to think, I, I think Al Bundy, Eugene O'Neill or Ed O'Neill, he has like another, it's so cool to see him play the opposite of the spectrum on Modern Family. Like, have the money, have everything, but he's kind of the same kind of guy in a way, just without being poor. He's kind of the same dry guy who doesn't want to be bothered (laughs) and just let me live my life, but I'm surrounded by all these wacky people. So it's the same guy, but completely opposite. But that shows how talented someone like Ed O'Neill is, right? Uh, You know, if you go back prior to Mary Rich, when you watch his, like, guest spots on TV shows or... Uh, you know, you catch him in some old movie that he's just playing like a detective or something. You're like, yeah, oh, that's Ed O'Neill. <laughs> you always forget it. But but that's the thing with actors. And people are like, wait a minute, that's Al Bundy. You're like, that's not Al Bundy. That's the actor Ed O'Neill. He's playing a cop in this. You also know him as Al Bundy. Yeah. Or the manager at the donut shop in Wayne's World, which is Correct. such <laughs> an awesome. He grabs the camera and he starts talking to it. Yeah, I mean, Ed O'Neill is probably is one of those guys who just kind of has a presence, I guess. So that's why he worked, you know, that's, that's why it works. He's a, yeah. he just has gravity. Yeah. So one thing was pretty cool. Cause you had all these cool, like t- dads on all these shows. One of your dads that was really cool was obviously Shatner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. What is that? <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. They, um, you know, so, so for, kind of most of the run of TJ Hooker, they always alluded that he was divorced and had kids, yeah. right? Uh, but you never saw him or like he would talk on the phone to them or something. And it was, so one season kind of later in the, you know, after TJ Hooker jumped the shark, probably, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, they decided to bring, like, bring the kids in, into, the, into the plot lines, into the story. And so they come down to visit and then they end up staying or coming, you know, with some of the visit thing and then they're going to move down there and stay with them for a while. And yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a regular audition thing. You read, you get it, you get the role, you show up. And I remember the first day of working with, with, with Bill Shatner and Adrian Zemed in a park in Burbank, you know, just doing a, like a, a, a scene in a park. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, but you just show up, you work and you know, it's not like, Hey, I'm the, this is my guy. You're my dad. Uh, I know who you are. It's great. You're Adrian Zemed. Um, uh, Grease two doesn't exist, but we love you anyway. Um, and awesome. So everybody was gracious. And then don't forget Heather Locklear. Oh, I know. Heather Locklear. But uh, we did, I think, and I remember the girl that played my sister, uh, her name was Jenny Beck. And, uh, you know, it's a cute little blonde girl, funny, talented, great face, you know, perfect TV kid, right? And 
we did two, three or four episodes or something. And then like the next se- we were contracted for the next season as well. Oh, wow. Uh, to do two or three, because they were going to keep the kids in the mix, uh, if I remember it right. And at the end of that first, the TJ Hooker got canceled. <laughs> it got picked up by another network, but they said, we're just going TJ Hooker stories. We don't want the, <laughs> the, the, kids aren't, the kids aren't coming back. So they redid the thing. But it was, a, it was a weird timing thing, and this is how the industry works. And uh, at the time, I auditioned and got cast in another brand new show. Uh, I was unable to do it because I was contractually connected to TJ Hooker, even though I wasn't ever going to be on the show again because it yeah. overlapped, I guess, in a certain time. And I didn't get to do that new show, <laughs> which was growing pains, but that's okay. <laughs> oh my God, really? But again, my you know pal, I've known him for years, Jeremy Miller. It was for the for the younger role. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, does and does you know gets to do a hit TV show and becomes an awesome guy. And uh, <laughs> now he's like a chef, and like I get to see him every once in a while. And uh, you know, I, I I moved away from LA for big big chunks of time. You know, ever yeah. since I was twenty twenty, even starting in college, because I went as far away as you could possibly be and did stuff that you was not connected to the industry. Cause that was, where'd you, that was where'd a, you go to school? Uh, I, I went to school in North Carolina. Uh, my first school, I went to, uh, to a, my first college was called Lewisburg college, just North of Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. And I played, ba- I played basketball in college. So that was my really? goal. That was my dream. So, uh, you know, growing up in the business and even in my high school, it was very important for me to stay connected to sports. Uh, I was a, I was, a, I was a good baseball player. I was, I was a good tennis player. Um, I, I didn't play much soccer up, you know, just before college, but, or just before high school, but basketball was my sport. That's the one I liked. That's the one I enjoyed. And I was way too, you know, uh, you know, on the short, I was the, I was definitely the short white guy. And, um, I just had to work twice as hard. I got fortunate enough with a family friend who, um, you know, did, did a little research and helped me out. And, uh, cause I got, I got laughed at by my high school coaches when I asked them to write me letters or if they would, you know, I, I'm applying to colleges and I'd love to either, you know, my, my goal was to just go somewhere. I knew I wasn't a, you know, a D one scholarship player yeah, coming yeah. out of high school. <laughs> like we know, we know this. Um, but you know, just to have an opportunity, write me a letter of recommendation. Cause I, I want to go and I want to see if I can, you know, walk on or something. You know, there was just always a dream, uh, kind of got laughed at, you know, didn't take seriously. Um, no one in my high school, except for my government teacher helped me. He was really cool. Um, and that actually he had set it up and got interest where I could have gone to college where Obama went to college at Occidental, which was really cool. Oh, he was yeah. a little before me, but, uh, that, that was in, uh, you know, that's in, uh, uh, Eagle Rock in California. That would have been, that would have been really rad, but the situation came up with a family friend kind of had a connection at this other school. I flew back to North Carolina after I graduated, uh, after, after I went on this cruise from graduation, and um, played in this huge team camp with all these teams from all over the country. And uh, it was a big Bob Gibbons camp. Like all the top coaches were there. And then my coach from my first school came down, offered me a spot. Um, he's had NBA players. He's had big D1 players. He's seen me play in this team camp for a couple games and practices. And he offers every player the exact same thing. He's an old school, old soul, you know, Southern basketball coach. And he says, uh, I've got, I've got a seat on the bench that you can have. I've got a uniform shirt that'll fit you. Uh, the rest is up to you. Nice. And I that like is that. all I wanted. <laughs> and so I showed up. I did that. I ended up getting uh, uh, winning awards and winning scholarship at that school. Uh, I met one of my best friends and teammates in my entire life, William Coley, who still lives in Raleigh now. But he was this young kid, tall, you know, tall six five athletic dude from Wilson, <laughs> North Carolina. And, uh, we became just kind of, you know, inseparable and we were kind of, you know, we became best friends and best teammates. We became captains of our team and he and I got recruited to at the same school to go play, uh, at, uh, university of North Carolina, Asheville, which is, I ended up playing D one basketball anyway. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it was, when I got up there that the situation changed, but William had a great career and I met my other best friend in college when he was already on the team when we went up there and these are my, you know, some of my closest friends in a whole other existence for me. So it's, uh, I, I live, I live in, uh, in two separate distinct worlds that don't really connect. Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. You can like go back and forth. And what was the reason, obviously you love basketball 
But yeah. what was it that you're like, I just need to get away? Was it just growing up in the industry or? You know, it wasn't. I loved the industry and it was, oh, okay. it was, a, it was a rather hard decision. Uh, really what it was is I also wanted to go to college after my senior year in high school. Uh, which a lot of industry kids don't do if they're if they're on something because they can't or they do yeah. and they have to leave and come back and it's not a guarantee that you're going to have a career when you come back. That's right? true. Um, I, you know, I left really kind of at the you know uh, the the peak of kind of a, a teenage working oh, yeah. professional career, and literally, you know, it's an inside thing. Like I said, working with kids is very hard, but once you turn eighteen, the whole game changes because you can play younger, you can still be a kid, and that's where things change. And I left right when that happened. And a lot of people say it was a terrible idea. A lot of people say it was a very awesome idea. Um, the, the reason I chose to, to do that is I don't like to play what if. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to be 30, um, maybe, maybe not having a, an adult career in the industry, sitting in a room waiting to read for a sitcom and go, boy, I wonder if I had actually gone to college or if I ever gotten to play you know, whatever sport I wanted to. Because yeah. um, I ended up playing golf at my first school too, and golf oh, sweet, which dude. was fun. But uh, you know, I, I, I think the basketball thing was one that was my favorite sport. Right. I think it's the best sport. <laughs> um, it's a team sport. I like individual sports too, but team sports are, are awesome. I think it's the best team sport. It's such a mental fundamental game where I just took to it. Um, and then I learned, I ended up learning from a good coach, but I said, I don't want to, I don't want to say what if I didn't do, cause I have an opportunity. I can yeah. always read for a sitcom when I'm 30 and either oh, get yeah. it or not get it, but I can't go back in time and, and, and play basketball in college. So that was sort of the, that was sort of the decision maker. That's um, awesome, man. Yeah, you know, right decision, wrong decision. I don't know. It was the decision. Um, I, I, I don't regret it at all because I, I learned a ton of stuff during that time, you know, that yeah, no, enables me to do the, and the stuff you're doing now. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's there's no guarantee. Cool. To... I didn't want to miss that chance. No, that's cool that you did that and took that, you know, tough decision and, and did it. I don't know if you ever, like, talked to Scott Schwartz, but he claims to be a great basketball player. He went oh, to high uh, school. Have you ever yeah, played he does, him? Or? He, does cl- he does claim that. No, 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 I don't. Okay. Uh, I, I, no, well, no I love Scott. Yeah, no, he's a great dude. But at, where he went to high school, Eric Murdoch went there, and he told me that he would – easily be Eric Murdoch all the time. I'm not saying that it, it was true or not what he said, but he said the only reason they <laughs> wouldn't play on the team because he was filming too much and he wasn't around. But I'm like, Eric Murdoch was a pretty good NBA player with a long career, but you never Eric know. Was pretty good. Yeah. No. And look, you know, and here's the thing, like someone's going to say, Oh, look at, you know, Scotty Schwartz. No way. You know, a little tiny white guy. There's no way you can dribble around. I was like, you know what? Everybody says the same thing about me, so I would never take that away from anybody. Oh yeah, um, no. I, did, I don't. I didn't. I didn't meet Scott until he moved to LA. I think when we were because he's a little older than me. he's a few years older than I. Am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he moved to LA. I, I think when he was year, like in his maybe teens. like. Oh, he was. He was still a teenager, but he was an older teenager. Yeah, I was yeah, a younger yeah. teenager. So you're going to paths cross, but you're not going to hang. Yeah. Um, but, but of course we knew each other. And then of course we kind of connected because, uh, one of my most memorable, you know, movie experiences is, uh, I had to fly to Toronto to screen test for a movie that they were shooting in Toronto. And I read this scene and I was, uh, I think they, they had already cast the lead who I knew. Um, and they were doing this movie and the scene was, uh, the, the kid, uh, has to stick his tongue on a flagpole that's frozen and gets stuck. And so I screen tested for flick in Christmas story. Wow. And we, you know, we flew to, I think I was, it was me and one other maybe kid for that role that came from LA and then a couple of kids from New York or whatever came to read. And then, you know, obviously Scott got flick cause, and he was amazing as flick. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Christmas story is almost a, almost a, almost a perfect movie. Yeah, I know. And it, ne- it never gets old. Uh, and Peter Billingsley is absolutely amazing at that movie. He's Peter Billingsley. And uh, yeah. I had known Peter because we grew up together. Oh, really? And, um, you know, knew each other for the business. And I had done one or two uh, Messy Marvin commercials with him, and, which is fun. So It's so cool. From where you grew up, there was like so many great young actors just in that area. It's phenomenal, actually. Well, I mean, you know, even in the, in the 70s and 80s, you know, there was, there was not a lot of the um, kind of traveling or transient kind of yeah. kids. You either lived in LA or you lived in New York, or if you maybe lived in Philly, you could take the train and audition in New York. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
uh, or, or, you know, maybe Jersey or something. Yeah. Um, and I, I know a bunch of kids that lived in Philly and auditioned out of New York. And one is one of my favorite people on the planet, Seth Green. You know, he, he grew up in Philly, worked <laughs> a lot out of New York, but then ended up coming out to LA um, permanently after like his second or third time to have to fly to LA to screen test for something called the Monster Squad. And then he ended up staying in LA. And, um, but, but I knew him from that time as some redhead, you know, kid that was really funny coming from Philadelphia. And I had to spend the afternoon with him because he was, I was reading with him in a screen test for Monster Squad. Oh, dude. Let's talk about that. So when that movie, because those are the coolest movies when you're even older or younger, there's like this cool vibe of watching young kids just have to deal with issues that you wouldn't think kids would deal with, like Stand By Me and, you know, Goonies and Monster Squad. It's like you don't usually should see kids in a situation like that, but it's just so cool to see. And this movie, I didn't look at who did the special effects for it, but dude, there's some really awesome effects. Uh, creature effects or special effects? Like uh, visual well, effects? Creature, the creatures are unbelievable in the movie. Well, obviously the, the, the creatures were out of, you know, some new guy named Stan Winston, just, you know, oh, really? and oh, sweet. all the, all the young guys that he had hired to work on this production were all brand new 20 something year old guys that had just started, you know, some Stan had just done alien and just done uh predator oh, and oh, no, sorry. Yes. No, no. Predator was just after, um, because they worked on that, but there was all, you know, all that wraps up in kind of the same time. Yeah. And, you know, if we want to get into the creature aspect and the invention and the innovation that they did to create those practical monsters, the makeup effects, the uh, practical monster effects, like the change and the prosthetics and things like that, um, changed the game. That really switched the paradigm over and then everybody started doing it like that. And it was guys like Steve Wang and Matt Rose making the Gilman suit, um, Tom Woodruff Jr. building the Frankenstein aesthetics after they were learning that they had to create... um, the creature from Black Lagoon and Frankenstein, they couldn't use the old Jack Pierce designs because they were still under copyright at the theme parks oh, and Universal right. initially said yes. And then they said no. So they had to re-envision these iconic characters, huh. which I always, they always lamented. And then they go, but then we got to do it differently. And I always, they changed the game. Yeah. This was one of those movies at a time where practical was just turning into other stuff and it, it upped the game. And we have, I think, some of the best creatures. And everybody forgets about our mummy. That mummy build from Shane Mahan is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it's all hand wrapped muslin and linen. And you know, it, it and then Michael McKay in the suit was great. Uh, it launched careers. Uh, it created icons. All the guys that created those monsters that you see behind you from scratch um, as young apprentice employees at Stan Winston Studio are all now the icons of creature making and own the biggest creature effects studios in the business now. That's cool, man. And no, it's it cool. all just kind of started with, you know, 86, 87 with them. Yeah. And just the, some of the people that worked on that movie, obviously Fred Decker was somebody then, but Shane Black, which, and, you know, barely anybody then, except for he started, he, when he, when he, when his fuse lit, it went quick. And yeah. Fred had uh, written and directed a movie called night of the creeps. Yeah. Uh, Monster squad got greenlit while he was making Night of the Creeps. Uh, so there's a little kind of uh, Monster Squad Easter egg in Night of the Creeps. Oh, um, really? Yeah, in, in the scene in the bathroom um, uh, where you know, the, the handicapped kid actually gets killed in the bathroom, <laughs> on the back tile it says, Go Monster Squad. And oh, a little dude, graffiti that's art. Awesome. Um, there's a tidbit for some Night of the Creeps fans. Um, and then he goes right into Monster Squad. And then as Shane had, uh, it was the first thing that Shane Black ever wrote. Uh, besides some short stories, because they went to college together. Um, Shane came to LA, he wanted to be an actor. Um, you know, Fred wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, he didn't get into USC, which I mean, he had to go to UCLA. They wouldn't let him in the film, he didn't get into film school. He ended up being an English major, uh, but they worked on projects together. He and he and Shane started, you know, shooting the shit one day about a story Fred has. And he's like, um, I want to write a story uh, where the little rascals fight the universal monsters. And Shane Black goes, that sounds fun. Can I write it? Um, and, uh, Shane had previously written one other like short story that always wanted to be a short film, um, called shadow company, which he references in lethal weapon. Um, it was about sort of like this, uh, 
the screwed over or, or betrayed platoon in Vietnam that dot gets wiped out, but they come back as ghosts for revenge and stuff. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and, um, but while we were shooting monster squad, uh, Shane black had written and sold his first spec screenplay called lethal weapon. <laughs> That's crazy. And that got so greenlit and turned around. It came out before monster squad and Shane black, you know, or they, they got greenlit and shot before monster squad came out. And then monster came out and bombed. And then lethal weapon came out and just exploded as a hit, uh, creator franchise, which he walked off of. And then, Subsequently, Shane, two years after that, sold the highest spec screenplay in the history of Hollywood and then followed that up and doubled that like the next year and sold the next highest, you know, the, the beat his own record within like three years, made a lot of money selling spec screenplays and, um, and then didn't work for 10 or 12 years. Yeah. But Fred, you know, kind of the same Shane's meteor kind of rose. Fred ended up monster squad didn't do well at all. Um, it, it was seen as a gigantic failure in the box office, which is the only thing that counted at the time. Um, it, it took Monster Squad 19 and a half years to kind of, you know, the audience to go, no, we are here and we are loud and yeah. we are gigantic and we're pissed. Um, you know, where, where's our, you know, where's our, this is our movie. Don't mess, you know, please, we mother show your appreciation. Uh, but Fred, you know, ended up doing Robocop three, which was just, you know, Robocop three, but you know, that's three movies that don't perform and apparently you go into director jail because those were the rules back in the day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and, and that really sucks for someone like Fred who really is a deep thinker. He really is a great, you know, creative mind, very knowledgeable um, and had a lot of stuff to say and didn't get to say anything for 25 years. Yeah, we're going to cover Robocop there. I, I interviewed a couple people on it. Jeff, Jeff Garland was in that. Bradley Whitford is in that. Rip Torn. So the mm-hmm. cast in that's like so good, but again, it's hard to write a third or move fourth or fifth or to do it, it that. is. And I don't even think he wrote, I mean, he might've helped with the story, but like you're a 27 year old director and like yeah. a huge studio comes to you and goes, do you want to direct our third installment of a giant franchise? You're going to say no. Yeah. Like you're going to, you're going to take that call. Right. And, um, and what's his name? I can't think of his last name. Peter, uh, Robocop. Uh, Peter okay. Weller. Peter Roller, yeah, he was, dropped yeah, out at the last he second. He dropped out. Yeah. And, um, oh, I forgot, David, uh, the guy that replaced him, uh, who's a big TV actor now. He's on every New York cop show. He's like uh, on, you know, SVU and, and Blue oh, Bloods. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Why can't I? Um, but, no, guy, the, uh, the girl I interviewed that was in, her name's Jody Long. She has a smaller part in RoboCop 3, but she grew up in New York and she did a lot of theater stuff. And she used to do theater and knew, knew P- Peter Weller. So when she got the movie, she talked to him. It's not like nowadays you text and people right. post like, hey, I didn't get the, I'm out of the so-and-so. But she showed up on set walking up to this guy thinking it was Peter Weller and it wasn't. <laughs> so it was kind of <laughs> awkward. She <laughs> had no clue. Story. And she's she like, no oh, shit. Oh, she even man. said like, oh, man, why, what the hell? Yeah. That's a great, that's a, oh, man, what a great story. Yeah, because they were like. embarrassing, I would tell that story. Yeah, but the thing that was cool about that was just the fact that she knew him that well. She said in New York, I'm sure the same thing like you were talking about growing up in L.A., Everybody like knew each other. All the actors that she worked with in the eighties and early nineties, I would say like, Oh, what was it like working with blank? And she's like, Oh, we knew each other really well. We used to drink on Thursday nights. It's like, really? Right. I think, I think maybe even New York is, is a smaller, tighter core it's group small, than maybe really even like, LA. Cause it's spread yeah. out and, and, and not as much goes on. So everybody knows each other. Plus you have theater in New York, which is really yeah. the epicenter of theater and so if you're a serious actor and theater's the thing, you know, I always, it was always weird growing up in LA where it's film and TV and very yeah, little yeah. theater. And then you meet someone from New York and they're like, no, it's theater first for me. And then <laughs> maybe I would degrade myself and do a sitcom. Um, and I never, I never got that. So I used to make fun of theater people. <laughs> uh, but theater is a completely different thing. It's a completely different skill set, and it is not easy. Yeah, yeah, like back and, in the day, uh, that was the first step for a lot of the people I interviewed, like older absolutely. actors that got really big. Like William sure. Sadler was like, the first thing I did was go to Broadway. And he's yeah. like, I did a couple things there. And then I just wanted to do something different because he did it for like, I couldn't believe it. Obviously, he's older, you know, but when he said how long he did it, I was like, holy shit, 12 years just doing different plays. And then he's like, 
yeah, you know, I want to try to do, and then he blew up like right to, away. To migrate out. Yeah. That, and that's not a singular story. I mean, I no, think I a know. lot of those like that. And I just didn't have that experience because I started out on TV and, yeah. and film. Um, theaters, theater's not easy. And to be a theater, a, a working theater actor is also a grind. I mean, yeah. you've got to go to calls and you've got to, you've got to grind it out. And if you ever get to Broadway, that's an accomplishment, you know, oh, yeah. that's like being an alien ever getting a, a, it, you know, somewhat of a lead role in a feature film. It is not guaranteed. And the <laughs> odds are very, very, very low. Yeah. Um, and when, if, if you know any, you know, if, if you're good with any type of math or stats or percentages, <laughs> It, it is not a bet you really want to make, yeah. uh, but you know, people are drawn to it. I, I applaud theater people because that is a whole other grind. And, um, you know, one of my favorite, favorite people in the world is a New York guy grew up, you know, uh, grew up in the village performing, uh, doing theater, doing side theater, doing street performing. And then he auditioned for a show Became a hit sitcom called Bosom Buddies, and Pedro Scolari is a TV star. Uh, there's another guy named Tom Hanks on this show, which ends up doing some movies later. But you know, Pedro Scolari ends up being you know the, the the really funny, talented one on on a hit TV show. And your dad, and, um, he played your and dad. My too. dad, my dad on a show. Your list dad, of your dads, you should get like a mural yeah. of like you the Washington, like the Mount Rushmore of your dads, because oh, you've wor- you've worked with some amazing people as playing your father. <laughs> Actually, what I should do is just sit on my car and recreate the Monster Squad pose, and all my dads just be behind yes. me. Like, I'm in. <laughs> uh, what would be really cool, but half of them aren't alive anymore, is to just have like a round table. Like, oh, yeah. My dads. Like, you know, my eight dads. You know, that'd be a, that'd be a cool show. Um, I, I spoofed because there's a my two dads, which yeah, I also yeah. did an episode of. But, really? Um, oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, Peter is one of my favorite people, and he's always a, he's always a theater. He's literally one of the funniest human beings on camera that you'll ever be. But he's also one of the most expressive, energetic people on a stage as well. And he's a theater guy. Um, yeah. But I, I'm I'm so drawn and connected to Peter because he took me, you know, kind of under his wing and in his fold uh, on this show that we ended up doing five or six episodes, and it didn't get picked up. I thought it was a hilarious show. <laughs> had some really funny people involved in it. And um, maybe there's too many kids on the show. It was called Baby Makes Five. We had five kids on the show. Well, two were infants, but some amazing grandmas and Eugene Roach on that show. Um, and, and, you know, Peter played the lead. And he was, it was so funny. And he was so good in physical comedy um, and delivery. But Peter's a street performer. He's a juggler. He's a master That's juggler. Amazing. And so when I was nine, Peter started teaching me how to juggle. And so I'm a juggler because of Peter Scalone. Oh, really? Dude, uh, awesome. I, I don't juggle much anymore, but I got, I got you know, better than most human beings. Uh, <laughs> but I'm tied with Peter because I got to do a show that they don't have anymore called Circus of the Stars uh, when I was 10 years old. And I was the youngest one to ever do that giant network, you know, holiday special. And then I did it again when I was 40. So I got to do that show twice. Oh, wow. Um, dude, as, a, awesome. as a kid. And that's all because of Peter. And because um, he had introduced me to, to those because he was doing it. And took me out there. Was like, look, you, you know, you need to find something. This guy's athletic. He's a juggler. He's funny. Like, you know, he needs to do an act. And I ended up doing an aerial act with Tracy Gold on the, you know, I was ten years old. I was the the youngest kid to ever do Circus of the Stars at the oh time. Oh my god, dude! That's um, amazing. Amy Foster ended up being like six months younger than I the first time she did it. So my record does not stand any longer. But uh, <laughs> that was a fun thing to do, and 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 a big part of my life because that, that stayed with you going forward with the people you meet and the things you have access to. And, you know, I can go to the main guy's house. Who's a famous stunt man with all the circus gear in his backyard. And I can go do circus shit anytime. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude. That's just like, it's like a lifetime membership to the circus, which is fun. That's so cool. Well, this has been great. Yeah. One thing I like to always ask people, I kind of know the answer. So I'll ask you something different because you did a lot of the things you've always wanted to do because okay. you, know, you, you changed course so to speak you made your decision but i yeah. see like so are you starting to get back into acting now a little bit uh you know over the last couple of years i actually ended up relocating back to la about six years ago uh for a specific project that i had created uh with a couple of other guys that i was trying to uh i was trying to shoot the spec pilot as the pitch piece and you know launch this tv show which had some interest in and oh, end wow. up doing that and then uh the first studio i took it to bought they wanted it so we were in develop you know we were in the contract phase we we're in development and um 
uh, it, that lasted six or seven months and then ended up ending. But in that interim, some other stuff that I created some other stuff. So I've been more into the uh, creative, the development and the and producing things. Uh, but you never give up acting because that's yeah. one, that's the easy part. It's also the fun part. Um, I have producer friends and things, you know, that I'll literally, I, you know, I'll go and work production on my friend's movie that either she's directing or producing. And then sometimes I'm in her movies, you know, same thing with other stuff. People ask me to be in it. I don't do the daily audition grind currently right yeah. now because I was busy with other stuff. Um, and really the la you know, not last year, but the two years before that, uh, you know, I ended up uh, uh, developing and, and producing and directing uh, the documentary. Uh, yeah, that's got awesome. So that took about, you know, I, definitely about a year, you know, a, a year of production. Uh, and then we festivaled, you know, then we had to post and then we were done and we had about a six or seven month festival run. That's awesome. uh, and then we had this kind of empty space for almost a year, but now that's back on track with hopefully this will be out very soon. I can't go with specifics, but we're, we ended up in a deal that took seven months and that fell through for some reason. Yeah. And now we've got it. So hope, hopefully all the monster squad fans that are waiting for wolf bands got nards, you know, stay tuned, keep following. And hopefully there's an announcement. Very soon. Nice. dude. But yeah, you ask your question. Like you, uh, you said you were going to ask, did you ask it or did I just, Oh no, 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 no. Yeah, no, I asked it. Yeah. No, usually I ask people like, Hey, if you didn't go into acting, you know, what would you be doing? Ah, you kind um, of, I, you know, I don't know because I you like did I it. Said, so young. Weird. I did it so no, I don't know I don't know not the business. I don't yeah, know yeah. I don't not know the industry. So I got away from it for a very long time. So when I went to school and played basketball in a small yeah. town in North Carolina and then went to uh, a medium sized town in North Carolina, yeah. uh, couldn't be any less connected to the industry. Now people still knew you recognize your new monster squad or new your shows, which was fun. I had a great core group of friends, my teammates knew, nobody cared. Uh, I mean they cared, but it wasn't like you're my teammate you pass me the ball like, and then, you know, we win a game and that's, that's what we're doing. Uh, it's cool that you're my friend that was on TV, but it's not the reason you're my friend. Yeah. And so that was cool. Um, so I was kind of disconnected, but I also have a mass comm journalism degree and I started, you know, I was a sports writer for a number of years. I worked oh, in newspapers and magazines and, you know, you know, covered sports and I ended up getting into, um, officiating high school basketball. And so oh, I was dude, a state awesome. official for, for two or three years. And that's actually something I always look at that I, I actually was being asked and groomed to go further uh, and be a college official. And like, who knows? I mean, those guys make good money and it's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, you know, you work a, a couple of nights a week and make money. They should do um, a movie on that. High school referees. Yeah. You know, half the people hate you and half the people like you. Yeah. Um, it's called 50-50 coming out in summer. Yes. Um, the... <laughs> Uh, but that was fun. You know, I was good at that. I always thought I'd go into coaching because that's something I actually like. Uh, that's a whole other grind going in. Oh, yeah, you dude. have to make that commitment that's 24 seven. And you yeah. have to give it time. And, um, I could, some of my best friends are coaches. Um, that's a whole lifestyle and a choice. Yeah. Um, I was probably at the time I wasn't ready to, um, do that. And I was a little probably more selfish with my time at that particular moment. And I didn't want to make a decision because I just didn't know. You know, because yeah. I graduated college, had a couple years of working in, in journalism, which is nowhere near film and TV. Yeah. And um, especially covering high school and college sports and feature stories in Western North Carolina. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, completely separated. And then um, what's, what's in, when I was in that world, I missed the other one. And I'm in this one, I missed the other one. Yeah. And I was trying to find something that bridged that gap. And uh, in like 99, I, I came up with it or 2000 and it was, I created a film festival that I, I, I was going to have it in the city of Asheville. And that's a long other whole podcast story, how that, <laughs> that, didn't, how that didn't happen. But, um, uh, that was something that I thought would bridge my two worlds at the time and, um, set it all up, spent six or eight months working on it, got all, got it all ready to go and launch and, uh, woke up one morning and had a meeting with the city, woke up the next morning and my project wasn't mine anymore. Oh. <laughs> so it's uh, I have a I have a love hate relationship with this the the city of Asheville because <laughs> it's a beautiful place and great people and some of my best friends live there but ooh I'm, the local I'm a, government I'm a stung for some <sighs> but um, you know I learned a lot from that and that let me do some other stuff that I did and you know led to some other decisions <laughs> but it took a little time to find the footing but I came back and you know I I love being in the industry. I'm fortunate enough to have a history and a background in it. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be something, you know, associated with like Monster Squad, where especially yeah. in the horror community, 
if you're a genre fan or horror buff, I mean, that's, you know, that's sort of kind of one of the most loyal and, and hardcore fan bases. Oh, totally. Uh, I, I feel that I'm very fortunate enough to be, that's not the only thing I'm in, but that's, you know, one of the things where I sort of have, it's this weird thing. I, I kind of have this amazing status in the horror genre just because oh, yeah. I got to be in Monster Squad, which is so seminal and important to a lot of people in the genre, whether they're professionals or they're just fans. Yeah. And that's sort of what kind of paralleled and led me to my experience of this resurgence of the Monster Squad, you know, for the last 10 or 12 years to make the documentary. Because the documentary is not about the movie. It's not about us as cast, like where it's not a where are they now doc. Oh, good. And most, and most importantly, it's not a fan doc. It's not a fan service doc of, Bleh, here's the movie you love. You know, uh, yeah. What it is, it, 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 the original core inspiration for it was I started hearing so many awesome, unique stories from individuals that were fans that came up to me and told me how their lives were affected or how much movie, this movie means to them, unlike any other movie that they're fans of. Yeah. And I thought that would last for about a year or two, and it just kept going and going. <laughs> and I realized that those stories are a story. And so it's about how this movie that didn't do well affected an entire generation and then some people, either professionally or emotionally or physically. Uh, and there's just, there's so many amazing stories out there. I can't That's cram cool. them all into a 90 minute documentary, uh, but they're out there. And all the fans that told me those stories over the first couple of years of convention appearances and screenings, uh, you're, you're the reason that that documentary got made. That's rad, man. Well, Andre, this has been awesome. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, man. No, appreciate it. You know, uh, if you want to come back and talk about any other thing, you know, let me know. I yeah, totally, love dude. hanging out. So it's, uh, I love talking about monster squad. Monster squad fans are great. Um, hopefully the doc will come out, but I like that we got to talk about some, you know, some other stuff as well. Yeah, That's what, you know, it's funny. Fun, every time so I talk, every time I talk to somebody and it's not like, I love monster squad, but I love hearing like the origin story and like the other things because yeah, I'm just, the, most of the time when is, I interview yeah. people, they're like, Hey, you didn't really talk too much about blank. It's like, well, that's what you, people always really ask about. And I think it's really cool hearing about the other stories, all the awesome dads you had. And I think you should really yeah. do that. Get somebody to Photoshop that, dude. That might be funny. Yeah, um, man. Yeah, they're, uh, if, if, if they all stick around for a little bit, maybe we get to do it. I have. I mean, other people have some awesome dads too. But yeah, George C. Scott, Shatner, Ricky Nelson. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, Peter Scolari. Peter Scolari. Golly, that's yeah, that's pretty cool. That's good, man. All right, Andre, have a good rest of your night, man. Hey, uh, hey man, thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. We'll talk soon. All righty. Dude, wasn't Andre awesome? I really love talking to him. It's really cool, man. Just talk about a choice of a person that's acting every year, pretty much since you began. He's always working. He said, no, you know what? I want to go play basketball. He goes to school, plays basketball, and good for him, man. I love that he's getting back into it now. And just the stories and the memories he shared. And I really do want to, Andre, if you're checking this out, I am going to work on some, I'm not the best at Photoshop, but man, the Mount Rushmore of your TV dads is epic. So that was Andre. I'll put all his links uh, in the episode notes so you can follow him. And his IMDb so you can uh, keep tabs on him because Wolfman's Nards uh, and a lot of other things that he's working on. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast. Follow us on all social media at Sequels Only. And don't forget, check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night.